This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning. Oh, thank you. Happy birthday. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, I'm going to indulge myself just for a moment. I, there are many days when I look at what God has done in our church and I realize God could have done that through anybody. And I'm just so grateful he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, how about doing this? And uh, so you guys make it a joy. But I would like to call my wife up to the stage, and I know it's going to embarrass her. And so I have to give you a little backstory. So she says to me this morning, Would you please talk to Kevin and tell him not to call me up on stage? <laughs> And don't you call me up on stage. To which I replied, I'll talk to Kevin. <laughs> so there you go. So there's, there's a reason for this. Okay. And so I want to tell you a little story about us. We have been married 46 years. Yes. So if you go back almost 49 years ago... I went to the girls' dorm of the college where we were both enrolled and for the purpose of asking her on our first date, which we had on March the 14th, 1969. There you go. So, all right. There you go. So, so this was March the 13th. Um, And So I finally got my courage up enough after some conversation to say, uh, would you be willing to go with me, to to go out with me tomorrow night? And she looked at me, and she did not say yes, and she did not say no. She said, what are you going to do with your life? Mind you, I was 17. Okay, and I should have caught on then. She's rather direct, right? Hard hitter. (laughs) And so I said to her, well, I'm going to be a pastor. And she said, I'll go then. And I said, well, what's the backstory behind that? And she said, you know, I was spending some time with God maybe three months ago. And he made it very clear to me he wanted me to be a pastor's wife. So I made him a promise. From that day forward, I would never go out with a guy that didn't intend to be a pastor. So, lucky uh, lucky me, you are correct. (laughs) So along the way, when we graduated from college, God called us to a ghetto for a first place of ministry up in North Portland. And then God called us to the suburbs of Portland, and then to Honolulu, and then eventually to here. And every time God called me, 
somehow Monica heard his call as well. Three different times in our life, we have packed up everything we've owned, sold most of it, and moved to a place where we knew nobody and started over again. And that is not easy for a life. I can tell you that for sure. And uh, the same was true when we came here. When we moved to Petaluma, we literally didn't know one single person in this town. Um, so behind everything that God has done, Monica has been a key part of that. And on this 20th birthday of our church, I wanted us to recognize her. Well, so thank you. Thank you. Thanks, So, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I'm not going to watch the... Believe it or not, I'm not going to watch the game. And I am a sports sports nut. But we're going to be driving to Oregon. So, there you go. All right. So, why do I have this? Because I want to teach us something with this. This is a stethoscope. And when you go see a doctor or a nurse, oftentimes they'll have one of these around their neck. They will take it off, they'll put these things in their ears, and they'll put this on your chest or on your back, but when they put it on your chest or even on your wrist, what they're checking for is what we commonly call vital signs. I want to say it a little differently because I think it'll carry the proper meaning. They're looking for signs of vitality. What's vitality? It's, it's a measure of of the strength of your life. It's a measure of the strength of your wellness. They're they're not just trying to find out if you're still alive. They want to know how alive are you. So now, what would happen if we had a spiritual one of these? And we could put it on a person's chest or on their wrists And we would be trying to measure spiritual vitality. I wonder what we would be measuring. Would we be measuring how many times they go to church? Would we be measuring how much money they contribute to charitable causes, including the church? Would we be measuring how many hours a week they give away in volunteer time? If we were going to actually measure a person's spiritual vitality, huh, what courses through the veins of a person who is spiritually vibrant? Who, who, when success comes their way, they never get proud or cocky or arrogant. And when tough times come their way, They don't get bitter and angry and sidelined in life. They're able to handle success and failure seemingly with the same attitude. And even in the midst of struggle, they have a way of finding joy. Not not happy that they're struggling, but in the midst of their struggle, they can still find joy. Because they have a strength of spiritual life 
that's vibrant. Well, fortunately, we don't have to guess. I don't have time to take you through all the passages, but the Bible makes it very clear that if you could put a stethoscope, a spiritual one, on a spiritually vibrant person, what you would find coursing through their veins is a thing called faith. It is the measure of our spiritual vitality. And, and Kevin has done such a great job of teaching us what faith is. So the first thing you need to know is that faith is the measure of my vitality, of how spiritually alive I am. And that begs a question, well, if faith is the measure of my spiritual vitality, what is faith? And Kevin has given you a great working definition and that faith is trusting God enough to try. I think oftentimes we, we labor under the misunderstanding that faith is something that you believe to be true. And certainly that is a component of faith, but it's only a small component of faith because all the way through, as the Bible writers were writing the Bible under the direction of God's Spirit, they talked about the rest of faith, which is the active part of faith. Not just the mental part, the active part of faith. And faith is not only what we believe to be true. Faith is about trusting God enough to try. I put in my notes after that something new. What do you do when God invites or encourages or in some cases instructs you to try something new? Somebody was just telling me a story at the end of the first service and they happened to be a couple that was part of our church from day one. In fact, this happens to be the wife of this husband-wife couple who were the first people that Monica and I ever asked to be to help us start this church once we got to Petaluma. And remember about Monica being a little direct? God uses that in wonderful ways. She's kindly direct, not abruptly direct. But this, this and I actually didn't know this story, but this lady was telling me, so you took us to dinner and you invited us to become part of this church, starting this church. And we said, well, we don't know. We'll, we'll, they say what all Christians say when they don't know how to say no, we'll pray about it. <laughs> right? She said later on that week, she was having a conversation with Monica. And Monica says, well, why are you so bound to the church where you're currently going? Not that we would want to pull you away from that. But, but why would you just be so bound to them? And she listed two or three things, and then she said sort of the fatal thing. She said, we're so comfortable there. To which Monica said, and you think that's good? Yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't God do something new in your life? You see, faith is trusting God enough to try something new, even if it's out of your comfort zone. Yeah. 
So that's what we're going to explore today. Now, in review, this is where we have been, okay? We've looked at four things so far. We're going to look at number five today, but I've rearranged them a little bit differently because I want to teach you just a small thing out of this, and that is we're talking about five things that God uses to grow our faith or your faith, and the thing that you need to know is three of those are things you need to be actively pursuing. God's not going to dump them on you. You have to actually go in search of them, okay? And the first is practical teaching, and that's what you're getting today, and you will get in your life group this week if you're part of a life group. And, oh, by the way, if you're part of a life group, what you're going to be doing this week is you're actually going to be doing a case study from the Bible how God used pivotal circumstances in the life of a Bible character to actually shape his life. Okay? So, for those of you in a life group, there's, there's a little, uh, what shall I say, appetizer. How's that? All right? So that's practical teaching. Private spiritual practices. Uh, there, there are many of them, but here's what I'm going to say to you this week. A private spiritual practice is whatever you're going to do with what I'm teaching you today throughout the rest of this week when you're alone. If you take your notes and you throw them in the waste paper can and you never think about this message from now uh, for forever, well, guess what? You never combine it with any sort of private spiritual practice. On the other hand, if you get your notes out and you read through them, or when you're sitting, um, it doesn't make a difference. You could be at a stoplight, you could be driving, you could be on a break at work, and God brings something that I'm teaching you this morning to your mind, and you process it with Him, that's a private spiritual practice. You just engaged in it. The third thing is personal ministry. No, no one's going to twist your arm to get involved in serving others, but... If you choose to serve other people in the context of following Jesus, there's an experience you're going to have as you partner with God in that endeavor. And, and if you're engaged with him, he will grow your faith as you serve side by side with him. And those are things that you have to go in search of. And so the key there is participation. The other two are things that God or life will dump on you, okay? Yeah, hopefully in the best way. And they are providential relationships. You may join a life group and you may become really good friends with somebody in the life group and they will do a thing that, that you'll hear me talk about quite often in the future. You ever heard the term holy smoke? Okay, I want to introduce you to a new term, holy poke, Okay. And that is in the best sense of the words, when you're sitting in life group and you're studying something and you're discussing something, they will turn to you and give you a little holy poke and say, have you ever considered doing that? That's so good for you. That person becomes a providential relationship in your life because they actually help grow your faith. And then the last one is what we're going to talk about today, providential circumstances. These are things life and God brings to us, and our choice in this is not whether we get to experience this or not, because circumstances come, and many of them you have no control over, they just come. But what you do have control over is how you respond to them. And we're going to talk about that today, because you can turn any circumstance in your life into a pivotal circumstance if you choose to respond in the correct way. So that's what we're going to work on today. So let's talk a little bit about how our faith grows. So we would all like for our faith, you know, if, if we're going to do a growth chart, 
So our faith starts here. And we would all like for our faith just to have a steady line that goes this way, right? There's only one problem with that. You would not be a human. Because that's not how humans live life. That's not how humans learn. And that's certainly not how humans grow. Okay? Because we grow through a series of upward experiences or sometimes downward experiences and plateaus. So if we were going to graph it, it would be we would go up and then we would have a plateau and then we would go up and then we would have a plateau and then we would go down and we would have a plateau and then we would go up and so forth. That's how it would work. Now what you and I need to know is there are some really important points on this graph. And they are what we call those pivot points or those pivotal circumstances. Here's one right here. Here's one right here. And here's one right there. And you can see after this pivotal point, faith went up. After this pivotal point, faith went down. After this pivotal point, faith went up. But what you also see is that our life is trending upward and to the right. Correct? And that's actually what we want, and that's how God works in our lives. Now, we're going we're gonna to come back to this chart, but I want to teach you something about this chart. And it's not, I'm sorry, it was supposed to be in your notes, but it didn't get in your notes. I'll have to talk to the guy who put those together. I know him really well. Um, so here's what I want to teach you, okay? What we do at these points And write this in your margin somewhere because it's really the big idea of this message. So if you miss everything else, get this. What we do at these points, number one, it determines our faith. Okay? It determines whether our faith goes up or down. Number two, It not only determines our faith, it affects our vitality, okay? When we go this direction, when we're living on this plateau, we have a higher level of vitality than when we were living here. It also means that when we go down here, we have a lower level of vitality than what we had here. So it not only determines whether our faith grows, it affects our vitality, the strength of life that we have. And last of all, it shapes our lives. Because when our faith is moving up and to the right, our lives have a certain shape. And when it's not, our lives have another shape. So I want to start by telling you a story uh, from my life. And uh, when Monica and I were moving here, way back in the late 90s, we went to see a movie, and the movie was called Dave. Anybody remember the movie Dave? I know. I'm, I, the, 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 yes. The half-life on this story is shrinking by the minute, all right? <laughs> but uh, so here's the story of Dave. Dave is, uh, uh, well, there's the president of the United States has some moral problems and a few other things, and he ends up with some health problems, and so the vice president is going to have to take over the country, but there's all sorts of corruption in the cabinet, and for reasons that, are, that I won't go into now, they cannot have the vice president become the president because he will clean up the corruption and they'll all be in trouble. So they decide to find 
a, a dead ringer for the president, a body double, if you would, and have the body double be the president until the president can, can regain his health and come back into the White House. And Dave is the body double for the president. So there's the plot line of the movie. Now, Monica and I are watching this movie, and I don't know that I'm about to be ambushed by God with one of these pivotal moments. Because the truth is, a pivotal moment can happen anywhere. Literally can happen anywhere. This one happened for me in a movie theater. So we're watching the movie, and, and Dave is headed out of the White House for his first event where he's going to be, quote, the president. And as they're driving out of the White House grounds, he's being driven by the head of the Secret Service, who is this chiseled, no-nonsense, shaved head, black guy with the sunglasses on and the expressionless face that is cognizant of everything that's happening. There's some awkward silence in the vehicle. And Dave's sort of a goofball, so he decides to break it. And he turns to the Secret Service guy and says, Hey, man, would you take a bullet for me? The guy's expression does not change. He turns looks at Dave, goes right back to driving. Like, are you an idiot? You're not the president. I would never take a bullet for you. So go on. The rest of the movie, there's some funny stuff that happens and all the stuff. Dave does a great job. And at the end of the movie, Dave is leaving the White House grounds for the last time. And he has turned the country around. He's gotten rid of the corruption. He's done awesome stuff. And as he's leaving the White House grounds for the last time, the Secret Service guy, same guy, is driving him out. And there's silence in the vehicle. Only this time, it's the Secret Service guy who breaks the silence. And he turns to Dave and said, Hey man, I would take a bullet for you. Pivotal moment in this church's history. Sitting in the movie theater, God ambushes me with this message. Hey, Ron, would you take a bullet for the people of Petaluma? Do you love them enough that you would take a bullet for them? I'm not talking about the people that are going to come to the church that you're going to start. I'm talking about the people out there. Do you love them? Would you take a bullet for them? That's a heavy thought. And then he put this little capper on it. Oh, by the way, I already did take a bullet for them. Now it's your turn. It changed the whole paradigm of how I would start this church. It's what, it it was the calling I got to go out into the city and love the people of the city and to help create in this place an atmosphere and a culture where everyone will be loved. Everyone. And my hope is that we will be willing to take bullets for each other and for all the people that don't yet come here.
Are you on board with that? Yeah. Pivotal moment. I want to tell you two more stories, and I'm going to take you to the Bible and do a little teaching. So I got two friends, well, hopefully more than two, but I'm going to tell you about two. And uh, they were both what I would call faith flatliners. You know what a faith flatliner is? Well, you know what a flatliner is, right? In the hospital, it's somebody who's dead, right? Okay. A faith flatliner is somebody that when you talk anything about spirituality, nothing moves. They look at you like, what planet are you from? These guys are both faith flatliners, okay? But in both of their lives, God brought a pivotal circumstance. One was a great circumstance and the other was a painful circumstance, but they were both pivotal circumstances. Let's talk about the painful one first. So this guy had been married for quite a while and then he got in a bad space and he and his wife were fighting all the time and then he did something that was pretty much catastrophic for their marriage. And his wife, who had only recently started attending New Life, looked at him and pretty much screamed at him and said, you have two choices. You can either see my taillights on the way out of this marriage, or you can come and talk to my pastor. I got to tell you, when you're a faith flatliner and someone says, you're going to go talk to my pastor, that is not good news. So here she came, dragging him into my office. She sat on one side, he sat on the other. He never even made eye contact with me. I said to him, I'm so sorry that we've had to meet under these circumstances. And if you're waiting for me to point my finger at you, and you're waiting for me to to start calling you out, well, I just want you to know I'm not going to do that. But I do have a question for you. Do you want to save your marriage? For the first time, he glanced a look at me to see if I actually meant it. And when he could tell I did, he said, yes. I said, then here's what you need to know. I'm in your corner. And I will do everything in my power to help you save your marriage. That was many years ago. About once a year, this guy will catch me out on the patio. And he's not a man of a lot of words, but he will come up to me and look me in the eyes and sometimes with tears. He will say, thank you, thank you, thank you for changing my life. I didn't change his life. God did. That guy started coming to church decided that he wanted to follow Jesus. We baptized him right here in this auditorium. And he tells me now, (laughs) if anyone had told me years ago I'd be going to church every Sunday, I would have said, what are you smoking? That is never going to happen. It's my favorite time of the week. You know what that was? 
that day when he came into my office, friends, that was a pivotal circumstance. Let me tell you about another guy. This guy lived in Hawaii, and I was pastoring a church in Honolulu, and he started coming to church, he and his wife, and they came Sunday after Sunday, and I would greet him on the way in and greet him on the way out. We never really had conversation with them, and they had been coming uh, almost a year, probably somewhere around a year, and as I was greeting them as they left that Sunday, he said to me, can I take you to lunch? I said, look at me. Do I look like a lunch kind of guy? He, <laughs> he laughed and said, yep. I said, sure. Where are we going to go? So he took me to lunch, and he started to tell me his story. He said, Ron, we started coming to the church when we found out we were pregnant with our first child. That's not a bad circumstance. That's a great one. And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, oh my goodness, how are we going to raise this child? What are we going to teach this child? What values are we going to, be, are we going to impart to this child? And we looked at each other and said, we want to raise her in a conservative environment. And we said, you can't get any more conservative than a church. So we decided to raise her in the church. So we started coming here every Sunday. Now listen, my wife and I never intended to become Christians or follow Jesus. None of that stuff. We just wanted our, as it turns out to be, daughter to be raised in a conservative environment. But a year later, having been to church virtually every Sunday for a year, he looked at me and he said, I realize I can no longer ignore the claims that Christ makes on my life. He found himself at a, at a pivotal point in his life. He said, I need one more piece of information because I, I don't want to make this choice and just sort of hope it's true. And so I gave him a book to read and he was headed out of town the next week on a business trip. He was the president and general manager of two television stations in Honolulu. So he was headed out on a business trip and I gave him a book to read while he was gone that I knew would answer his questions from history and, and from science and a number of other different platforms. I kid you not, he landed at the Honolulu airport and on the way home from the Honolulu airport, he calls me on his phone and he says two words, I'm in. I'm in. And what God has done in his life has influenced tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Pivotal circumstances. I want to talk to you about a guy from the Bible who also had a pivotal circumstance in his life. You probably have heard of him. His name is David. He was Israel's most beloved king. And King David didn't have a very good beginning. So uh, here's the deal. He had seven older brothers, and there was something about David that was tainted. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but, but, but we do know a couple of things. At one place in the Bible, when David is writing about himself, he makes this statement. He said, my mother conceived me in sin. So we don't know for sure what that meant, but it might be a veiled reference to the fact that his mother could have been a prostitute. 
And David could have been the offspring of a prostitute. We do know this. As David is growing up, his dad assigns him to be shepherd of the sheep. So he's going to be away from the family compound. He's going to be out on the hills with the sheep. And if, if you think that he might have been, you know, this tainted kid in some way, to put him out on the hills at least gets him out away from the family and he's not a constant reminder to his dad of what he did. For whatever reason, David's out there. God sends Israel's most famous prophet, Samuel, to David's home. And he says to Samuel, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to Jesse's home, that's David's father, and you're going to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. Samuel said, I'm all over it. Here we go. So he goes to, he goes to Bethlehem and he, and he goes to Jesse's house and um, he said, you know, I need to tell you I'm here to anoint the next king of Israel and it's going to be one of your sons to which Jesse puffs up his chest a little bit and says, I've got seven sons. Samuel says, okay, bring in the first one. So he brings in the first one, Samuel prays over him, God says, no, that's not him. Brings in the second one, God says, nope, that's not him. Goes all the way down to finally number seven. And Samuel's going, ha, I'm going to be a bright man, but I can figure out if it's not the first six, it's going to be this guy, right? So he gets, he gets the kid in there and he lays his hands on him and he begins to pray and he's waiting for the hallelujah chorus to start singing from heaven, right? This is it. And much to his surprise, the answer comes back, no, not him either. Okay, God, now I'm officially confused. God says, go ask Jesse if he has any more kids. Okay. So Sammy gets up, walks over to Jesse and goes, you have any more kids? Yeah, I got this one. He's out taking care of the sheep. If you know the story, they bring him in. And of course, David becomes Israel's most famous king. But let's talk about what was going on out on, on the hills when he was tending the sheep. So the best we can tell, David's about 16. So maybe a sophomore or junior in high school, if you can think of those ages for our kids. And one day he's tending the sheep and a lion comes out of the thicket and pounces on a sheep and and starts to attack it. And David is paralyzed, frozen in the moment. And then he gets a message from God and God says to him, David, go attack the lion. You think God's giving you some tough ones. (laughs) Try that one on for size. David doesn't even have a weapon. Go attack the lion. And God says, I'll protect you. David had to be scared out of his mind. He goes up and jumps on the back of that lion and he rescues the sheep. And you know something? His faith and trust in God grew. Don't you think? Big time. Well, guess what? It's not very long after that. David's tending the sheep and a bear comes running out of the thicket, jumps on the back of a sheep, and God says to David, go attack the bear. 
This time he's not nearly so afraid. He's thinking in his mind, you poor sucker, you have no idea what's about to happen to you. (laughs) He jumps on the back of that bear, kills the bear, rescues the sheep, and David's faith grows again. Just a few months later, David's dad says to him, hey, David, your brothers are all off involved in a battle. And I'm concerned about them. I've heard nothing from them. I want to know how they're doing. So would you go down to the battlefield, to the Valley of Elah, where, where they are, and, there's, and, and, and just find out how they are and come back and give me a report. So David goes to the Valley of Elah, and to much to his surprise, there's actually no war going on at all. There's no battle at all. There's an empty battlefield, and there's a whole bunch of tents on the hill on one side and a whole bunch of tents on the hill on the other side. He looks them over for a minute and figures out which one was his country and which one was the Philistines, the other country. And he goes to the Israelite camp. And about the time he gets to the Israelite camp, he hears this massive voice ringing from the valley. And there's a giant of a man standing down there who looked at David like he must have been nine or 10 feet tall. And guess what? He was. And he is saying, why would you all risk your lives? And why would we risk all of our lives and kill each other? Let's do this the humane way. You send out a champion to fight me. And if he beats me, we'll pay taxes to your country. And if I beat him, you'll pay taxes to ours. When David hears that, he gets a message from God. And it has a very familiar ring to it. Go attack the giant. I will protect you. Amazingly, David goes, I'll go fight him. Well, you've got to go talk to the king first. You can't just walk out there. So he goes to talk to the king. And the king looks at him and goes, you're a runt. (laughs) You've got zero battle experience. And that guy has done nothing but fight wars all of his life. I can't possibly send you out there. And this is where David calls on those pivotal circumstances. He says to the king, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And the Bible says that the king finally let him go and he ran toward the Philistine. He ran toward that giant. You know what I think he was thinking? You poor sucker. You have no idea what's about to happen to you. Yeah. You see, David had this. How was his vitality? Was it pretty good? It was awesome. Yeah. He had this thing in him that he could trust God. Now, the Apostle Paul writes about this same thing, the same concept. And he wants us to understand the mechanics of how this works. So he wrote this verse, which happens to be one of my favorite in the entire Bible. And I want to read it to you as it is in the original text. And then I'm going to expand it out so we can see how it actually works. So Paul wrote to the people, the Christians who were following Jesus in Rome. And he said, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So here's what this looks like in real life. 
We know means we can trust. We can rely. We know it's true. We can trust that in all things, every circumstance, whether your wife is dragging you in to get a lecture from the pastor or you're pregnant with your first child, doesn't make any difference. In every circumstance, God works. In other words, God is active in my life for the good. What's he doing? He's trying to increase my trust. And then Paul gives a little qualifier of those who love him. This only works if I'm actively engaged with God. If David's sitting out on the hill, completely distracted, and the lion comes out, takes a sheep and runs off with it, there's no pivotal circumstance there. He's just one sheep short. But because he was engaged with God, God was able to get a message through to him that says, go attack the lion. Yeah. Of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, they're pursuing a growing faith. That is God's purpose in your life and mine. That our faith and trust in him would grow. So, I want to come back to this chart as we close because I want to talk about this. Okay? In many ways, this is a chart of my life. I want to tell you about something that happened right here, a pivotal circumstance in my life. And as you can tell, I did not respond to it well, and therefore my faith took a hit. This was many years ago, and I'm not going to use any names, uh, again, just to protect people. But God wanted me to make a decision as I led the church where I was at the time. God wanted me to make a decision that I knew was, was not going to be a popular decision. I knew it was going to be misunderstood. I knew it was going to be misrepresented. I knew I would be heavily criticized for it. And, and, and I knew lots of other things that were not going to be good. And yet, God said, I need you to do this. I delayed that for a number of months. Did you know a pivotal circumstance can last for months? It did. Yeah. Because God was waiting for me to choose. Now the amazing thing was, I made the decision that God asked me to make. I took the action that God wanted me to take. It was immediately misunderstood. It was, I was immediately judged and criticized. And I did my best turtle impersonization. In life, I pulled in all my legs, I pulled in my tail, I pulled in my head, and I let people kick me around, but they couldn't hurt me. Anybody ever done that? We all have. Yep. But you know what that meant? I couldn't actually lead the church as the church needed to be led. In the ensuing year, I learned three valuable lessons that I want to share with us today as we close, because they are really important lessons, and they're true for all of us, okay? And so here they are. The first one is this. I learned that pivotal circumstances are actually intersections. Did you know that this is actually an intersection where you can go this way, you can go that way? Or you can go that way. 
If you don't respond well, you're going to go this way. Okay? If you, if you, <laughs> did you know you can blow through a pivotal circumstance and not even realize it's there? Yeah. You could be sitting here this morning in the middle of a pivotal circumstance and you could get, be getting angry at me and blow right through this and not learn a thing in this lesson and say, thank God Kevin's going to speak next week. And you know some, You just blow right through it. Nothing will change in your life. Okay? Or you can respond like this. In my case, I obeyed, but I didn't obey with a deep sense of faith, and so I took a hit. But here's what else I learned. Look at number two. Missing God isn't catastrophic if I don't disengage. I want to tell you what happened in my life. I won't give you all the illustrations, but I want to tell you what happened in that year of my life. In that year of my life, I learned more about myself and more about ministry than I have in any year of my ministerial life. As I look back on it, God had my full attention, and he actually set me up for years of growing faith. Because even though I missed him here, I didn't disengage here. Does that make sense to everybody? Therefore, it wasn't catastrophic. Okay? And number three, it's what I call the reality multiplier. What you need to know is that your faith matters to more than you. A lot more than you. Many of you have children. Many of you have grandchildren. You all have neighbors. You all have coworkers. You all have friends. All of us do. When we respond like this, we inspire those around us to have that, that same response. That's why our faith matters to more than us. It's why my friend, who responded by saying, I'm in, it's why God used his life literally to influence tens of thousands of people. And he has become one of the best known and most famous people in the state of Idaho. Yeah, it's just hugely influential because his faith actually mattered to more than him. Your faith matters to more than you. So what can we do with this? There are two things that we can do with this, and they're both up on the screen. And the first one is this. You and I can pray a prayer. And I'm, I want to challenge you to do this. And I want to get you out of here in just a couple of minutes. But I want to challenge you to do this. Find a place this week where you can talk to God out loud and people won't think you're crazy. Okay? I wouldn't do it on a muni bus. Okay? All right? Find a place where you can talk to God where people won't think you're crazy and pray this simple prayer to Him. Here it is God, I trust you enough that I'm giving you permission to work in every circumstance in my life. And you got to mean it. Okay? And then the second thing is, then go out of wherever you are and look for God's work. And listen for God to invite you to try something new with whatever that circumstance is. And then trust Him enough to try it. So it's pretty simple. Trust and then try. Because faith is what? Trusting God enough to try something new. Let me pray for you.
God, thank you so much that you are active in our lives and you're continually bringing these pivotal circumstances into our life and you're giving us opportunity after opportunity to respond and grow our faith and, and to increase our vitality in this life and, and to increase the influence that we have uh, on those around us. And it's such an awesome thing that you invite us into that process. So this week, God, as we pray to you, as we trust you, as we give you permission to work in every circumstance of our life, we mean it with all of our hearts. And then as we get up and look for your work, God, would you speak clearly to us so that we can try something new as you lead us. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy birthday, church. Have a great, great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.